Here we are. I am incredibly joyous and also very grateful to be in this space this morning with Angie Hooper. Angie, thank you so much for taking the time. This means a oh, lot today. Thanks, Jeff. It's my pleasure. Yeah, I've had an opportunity uh, to uh, learn more about your work and to be able to uh, to read about uh, the work that you have done and uh, some about your journey. And so what I thought I would do is give you the opportunity. This is really why I love having these conversations is to be able to hear this from people in their own words. So I'd like to start out the conversation if I could and ask you what your inner journey and what your work as a coach means to you and any relationship between the two. Oh gosh. Yeah. I think, you know, when you find yourself in a position in life where you realize that the thing that you do every day for your job is really parallel to the reason that you downloaded yourself to the planet. Um, I think that's, that's the day that things shift for you. Right. And so for me, that day was back in 2001. I was an in-house lawyer. I was a big fancy corporate lawyer working in a group that was doing M&A for a, a big energy company here in the town where I live. And we were caught up in the Enron bankruptcy, right? And so I was sitting in my little office in the legal department and everybody around me was absolutely freaking out. Mm. And I remember thinking, and it was something that I heard in a Carolyn Mace lecture. And she said, you know, everybody thinks they want to be a mystic until you figure out how much work it is. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember her saying in her lecture, what if your whole job was to be the person who carried light into the room, right? Maybe your yeah. whole purpose is to be the person who brings the coffee or sets up the slides so that you can carry energy into that room. And I thought, what if my real job, put in quotes job, wasn't to be the lawyer? What if it was to be the person who carried light into the room? Interesting. And so from that moment on, the way I practice law changed and it started, it's, it was a little bit longer fuse, but it started to change the way I lived my life. And then at a certain point when I had an opportunity to take a, a partial step back from practicing law and really jump into putting more of my time towards helping other professionals connect to their soul in a way that isn't always obvious, right? Especially if you're in a profession like legal or tax or anything that's sort of highly regulated where people have that image of you of being a hard hitter or being um, soulless yeah. to be able to reconnect to your soul and say, it's totally fine if you think that about me or anybody else, but I'm going to show up in the way that my soul calls me to be. And so then out of that grew the forgiveness work that I'm, that I'm doing now, that's been really surprised me with the way that it has impacted people really. So it was a, it snuck up on me. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I love that. And I, d I definitely do want to hear more about uh, your, the forgiveness project. I believe if I'm, if I'm saying that right. Uh, what I wanted to also do is is to not not necessarily to stay, you know, to have to stay linear. But what I wanted to do was see just a little bit about what it is that, uh, you know, in terms of what it felt like for you. I didn't know if there was an aha moment when yeah. you decided that you wanted to uh, to coach other attorneys and professionals. Yeah. Uh, just getting some sense of maybe how that shift happened for you and what that felt like to begin to do that work. 
Yeah, you know, it's always a tough thing to fight your next step, right? Um, And so for me, I had been resistant to the idea of changing my career, so to speak. Um, And it goes back to that age old fight that we have with ourselves about vocation and avocation. You know, what's the calling and what's the thing I do to, you know, pay the electric bill. Um, And so we have a lot of assumptions that we go into with these things where, especially, um, you know, with, with lawyers and a lot of younger professionals today, they feel so burdened by student loans and expectations and this whole uh, culture that we're fostering around side hustles. And, and if you're not killing it, you're just not working hard. You just didn't try hard enough. Right. And not really leaving space for people to explore and to discover their own path. And so I fought it as hard as anybody. Right. And because the universe is benevolent and loves me the most, this is one of my foundational beliefs. Um, yeah. When I was, I was in a place where I had taken a job for the logic of it, right? I had mm-hmm. done it to, cause they offered me a bunch of money and a bonus and a please come where and all this kind of thing. And I didn't stop to check if my heart was in it. So I was sitting in that office and rethinking my life as you do. <laughs> Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. As you do when you've done that to yourself. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, you know, I still love contracts. I still love things about being a lawyer, but I am not in the right place. Like I just knew. And so I sat down It's the only time up to this point I've ever done this, but I sat down and I actually mapped out what would I want life to be like in five years? I did this little five year, I did it on a PowerPoint slide. I did this little five year bullet of, okay, okay, universe, I hear you. I am, I am ready to stop fighting. If you want me to do this, what are the steps? And I just started to bullet list all this stuff. And it was a little five-year plan. And three weeks later, my, my brand new boss walked in and said, today's your last day. We've sold the division transitions over you're out. And what was so funny about that conversation, right? And this is part of the way I knew this was the benevolence of the universe at work was that when he walked in, he was so uncomfortable with being the messenger. He walked in with, he had flown in from another town to do this, right? Mm. I thought the meeting was going to be about something else. He'd flown in. He brought the HR manager with him and he sat down. He said, I'm here to tell you today's your last day. And then he sort of took a half of a breath and then he got up and he left. Like he literally couldn't stay in the room. He was so uncomfortable. And I think this is my interpretation of it, right? I think that what was happening was he was there whatever, whatever sole contract the two of us had, he was there to be the messenger of that change. Like here I am, I am, I have (laughs) been put in this position where I am the Herald who's here to tell you everything's going to change because you made that commitment three weeks ago in your little PowerPoint. Like it was was 21 days. Yeah. Almost to the minute. Like I went back and looked at when I'd saved the file. And it was 21 days almost to the minute when I had completed that exercise. 
and said, okay, I'm in, okay, I'm in, you figure it out universe, you do it. And, um, and as soon as he walked out, you know, the HR manager who, I mean, we were friendly, we were work friends, right? She looks at me and she goes, I know this is going to be the best thing for you. And, and I mean, and it was one of those layoffs where I was like, okay, well, you know, let me get my stuff and I'll shut down my computer. And she said, I'm not allowed to let you touch anything. Mm. I mean, it was one of those. Oh my goodness. I thought, okay, I hear you universe. And you, you, you wouldn't be human if you didn't have that feeling in the pit of your stomach of, I wonder what happens next. And you wouldn't be human if you also didn't have the opportunity to say, I don't know what's going to happen next but this is too weird and too perfect and too timely to not be important. So I'm going to shut up and I'm going to listen to my guidance and I'm going to see what happens. I mean, that's all you can do. <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad you said that because I know it's such a human tendency to, uh, and I'm not saying this is you know for you or anyone else, but it's, uh, there is this uh, tendency to want to think our way out of things, but I'm getting, I'm getting the sense that that was not, I, I mean, I don't want to assume anything here, but that, did it not really feel like that? Was there not a? No, it's brilliant. Oh. It's brilliant to bring that up. And um, if for the for people that follow me on Instagram or Facebook, they've probably seen a post that I just rerun every few weeks. And the the post just says, "If we could think our feelings, we would call them thinkings." And right. I mean, I love that. Yeah. I mean, it's for everybody, but really (laughs) that awareness came to me out of working with so many lawyers who, well, any professional or person who has been highly rewarded and incentivized to rely on their logic and the best business people, lawyers, whatever. See, when we're in like a businessy context and we call it gut feeling or, you know, I used to tell my clients when I worked at the, um, the other big giant company and I would, I'd get a hit. Like I just knew something I knew, mm. but you don't really want to be the one who walks into the meeting with all these engineers. Or I, I didn't have the nerve at the time to walk in and say, I'm getting an intuitive hit that we need to ask about X, Y, Z rates or whatever, or permitting, you know, it'd be weird stuff, but I would walk into the meeting and I would translate it to a way I thought they could hear more easily, which was, Hey guys, my spidey sense is telling me that there might be something more to look at with this. Mm -hmm. And more often than not, that ended up being a helpful question and a path for us to go down. So to not give ourselves the credit to bring the power of feeling and soul to our logic. We are fighting with one hand tied behind our back. Yeah. Yeah. That's that, that really, that really resonates. Absolutely. Here's the other yeah. weird thing. Um, I was at a workshop a couple years ago and it was, it was like a super woo woo kind of deal, you know, like the place where they had, it had this big amethyst crystal in the lobby. Like it was, you know, it was everything we love. Right. Um, and I sat down and this was right when I was deciding, do I want to just work with lawyers? Just, do I want to expand like kind of what's, what's going on. And I sat down at a row and everybody on my row 
was either a lawyer or had been a lawyer or had been to law school. It was the weirdest thing, but really not that weird because if you think about it, people that are drawn to understanding the world with structure that way, like what are, just tell me what the rules are. Um, you're going to go one of a couple routes, right? They're going to do deep inner work to try and figure it out, or you're going to go to law school, or you're going to find some structure that has rules and framework that you think will keep you safe. That's just, Oh yeah. Yeah. And then I was going to ask you as well, uh, just, you know, kind of related to this, uh, it'd be very interesting to hear just, you know, in terms of your, uh, I don't know if you had, uh, so to speak, a, uh, a moment where you're, uh, where you became connected to source or where you, you know, where you knew that this was about more than what it, you know, what it appears as a human being, you know? Oh my golly. You're asking me all this stuff, all this, these are all the stories I haven't told anybody yet. Um, yeah, I've got two. Um, so the first one, picture it, (laughs) Penang, Malaysia, 1983. Um, my dad was, had a job overseas. We were expat for a couple of years and we went from a mainstream Protestant, um, Sunday school at nine 40 on Sundays, kind of religious education to being day students at a boarding school run by a Pentecostal charismatic Southeast Asian ministry, right? Like To stay within the context of Christianity, you couldn't be more polar opposite in a lot of ways. And so at the time, and I was a sixth grader, right? Like middle school, you know, you're just kind of starting to figure out that these concepts exist. And so at, in my class, which is just like a dozen kids, right? It became very fashionable to get into like end times theology and, you know, where we all going to end up now. So more recently we've got the, um, uh, the what's his face with the left behind and all of that. But before that, there was a book written in the seventies, kind of along the same line, a, a novel. And it was for us, for a sixth grader was like, um, you know, people were getting martyred and these like gory scenes and all this kind of stuff. Right. And I remember it really scared me. It really, really scared me. And I remember laying in my bed one night thinking, this is really, really scary. And I had a dream that night that I woke up in a beautiful seaside villa. I didn't even know what a seaside villa was, you know, (laughs) (laughs) but I woke up in this beautiful house overlooking the ocean and it was my home and I was alone in the home, but I wasn't scared. And I woke up the next morning. I thought that's weird. But, you know, looking back, we, we could say, well, home buildings and dreams often represent who we are. So, so there was that feeling that I woke up with that, that there, that, that there was a life within myself that I hadn't explored. I didn't, I was exploring the house in the dream, walking around, trying to figure out where the rooms were and stuff. And then I was sitting in class that day and our teacher was talking about it. Like they were teaching us like, you better, you better get your act together. Cause Jesus is coming back kind of deal. And I started to get really afraid again. And I remember thinking and I'm saying a prayer, like, I don't understand why this is so scary. And I remember getting a, almost a tunnel vision, but not like dark. Like I was like, I was going to faint like a, like light. If you imagine a tunnel vision where the light was closing in 
And I tried to turn my head towards the light and I couldn't move my head, but it was this beautiful light. And I heard a voice say, do you ever think I'm going to leave you? Mm. Now, yeah, we could unpack that and say, was that the voice of God? Was it an angel? Was it my own higher self? For me, being the person who had the experience, I don't need that answer, but I'm totally fine if other people want to put a, put a, a label on that. But what I took from it was this idea that there was more to who I am than who I was and more than this sense of the world, right? Like that there was a world bigger than who we are and what we can see that was as real. And I didn't know at the time how or why that door opened to me, but I didn't fight with it. Yeah, probably too young to know (laughs) to fight. (laughs) (laughs) Looking back, I mean, you know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All the stuff that came from that. Holy moly. Yeah. 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 I oh, appreciate I you sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. And then the other thing that uh, I find interesting is, and I, I have talked, I've had conversations with numerous people who found themselves somehow with this connection that there was maybe no context for, and mm-hmm. that there weren't, you know, there weren't any family members or people around them who could yeah. usher them or shepherd them through this process. So I wanted to, to make sure and just clarify, I'm, I'm assuming here that there weren't necessarily people around you at that, at the, during that time. Uh, no. That could, that could really explain, <laughs> explain any of this or, or shepherd you through this process. No, not really. And it wasn't because there were people, I mean, there were people around me who cared about me and cared really deeply about my oh, religious yeah. education. Right. Yeah. But from those polar opposites. So on the one hand, I had the very, I mean, very kind and imagine the kind of person that walks away from everything to go provide medical care in rural Indonesia in the eighties. Right. Or, or whatever. Right. Imagine that motivation of that person, but really like hardcore fundamental theology. Right. So that on one side, And then I had on the other side, my parents who were like, not super into it, but they were very clear of like, those people are crazy and you can't listen to them. And, you know, so, so I was sort of suspended in the middle between these two anchors. And the remarkable piece of it was being able to understand that all of it was symbolic language, all of it. And so it put me in a position where I was able, when I, when I began to be exposed to the idea that there are archetypes that drive our behaviors or that what we do in the world is often a symbolic reflection of, of a calling or a need of our soul or a healing that we want to engage in, right? That we, we act out these things like kabuki dances every day. By the time I came across that at a pretty young age, I would say in that 18 to 20 year old range, I was already reading some of the theologians and and, um, doing some more questioning of some of these principles, um, not to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but to really deeply understand that anything infinite and eternal that we try and squish down into a finite word 
and all words are finite. Anything infinite and eternal we try and squish down into a finite word is going to lose some of its essential truth. It has to. Our brains are finite. We need it. (laughs) We need it to be squished down to be able to comprehend. That's just that's just the nature of the beast. Yeah. And I love what you speak of in terms of your your uh, your journey, in terms of it encompassing, you know, doing work in the corporate world. And, you know, as you say, you know, doing work in a very highly regulated uh, practice, you know, in, you know, in, in an industry that uh, that is regulated as well. However, I also get this sense that you were and I don't want to, you know, there again, I'm open to being wrong, but I get a sense that there was a lot of listening going on. And you maybe have said that already as well, but, yeah. but I don't want to necessarily glaze over that or overlook it. Uh, no, it's right. Were, it's right. Yeah. And a couple of other things happened that helped me develop that. Um, so one of the things was um, my, my second husband had sons on the autism spectrum. And when our daughter was born, um, I knew that we needed to do something more than drop them off at school and pick them up and expect them to be fine. And so we had connected with a a group that at the time was teaching home-based child-centered play therapy. So I tell you what, if you want to get in touch with what your stuff is, spend an hour with an autistic kid that's having a tantrum or doesn't, hasn't been helped to communicate effectively. Cause that's really where my stepson was at the time. Um, and, and he and I split up in 2013, so they're not my stepsons anymore, but, um, but at the time we were doing this intensive child centered play therapy where the whole kind of philosophical pedagogical basis of it was, We are here to make it enticing to build the relationship with us, knowing that what we were asking him to do was like asking another kid his age to train for the Olympics, right? Like we were asking him to do something that in his world was superhuman. And so how do we make that enticing? How do we set him up for success? And a lot of it was showing up clear of my own hangups. Right. So I had to do a lot of my, I mean, I still, the, the perfectionism monster rears its head for me frequently, but you should have seen me back then. (laughs) Right. (laughs) It was really the beginnings of how do I show up in love and wanting the best for somebody that with zero expectation, they're going to give anything back to me not eye contact, not a look, not a word, not even a, a, an acknowledgement of my existence. How do I show up in a hundred percent love and service and gratitude and, and wanting the best for them and zero expectations and only invitations. Cause if you can do that for an hour, you have experienced a sliver of what it's like to be in the heart of God. Wow. Yeah. I'm just taking a moment to, uh, to sit with that. Yeah. That's powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And here's the kicker. When, when we did that with, um, with my stepson, when we, when we created that space for him and he did come towards us and I thought, wouldn't it be nice 
to be on the receiving end of that kind of space, to be invited, to be in, in connection with somebody or, or with everything in that same way. So if I can create it in the play therapy room, what would I need to do to create it in the world? And to this day, when I'm coaching somebody, I, I am going back to that set of skills and creating that kind of space where I show up with the invitation and trusting the, the client that's in front of me to have their best answer and to invite them forward to see it and to support them in discovering it with the right kind of questions and the right kind of tools. And so this thing that seemed so, and people thought I had lost my mind. They were like, you're going to marry a guy with kids on the spectrum. And let, you know, and this was okay. So this was like early two thousands, right? Like we didn't know, not everybody knew somebody who was autistic, like, like we do now. Oh yeah. And yeah. yeah so people were like, oh, it's like rain man or whatever. Or a lot of, there's still a lot of stereotypes and misconceptions. People thought I had lost my mind. But because I had been doing the work before that in understanding the symbolic journey of my life, it was one of those decisions where I was like, I don't know how this is going to go, but I know this is where I'm supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and I was going to say that is, that is, uh, that, that is something that is incredibly powerful and incredibly meaningful. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. yeah. And I really do. And I honor your openness to that because I realize that is also something that is it's easier said than done, isn't it? The the open it really is. Yeah. And I think that's a thing that we can all do for ourselves is to say it's one thing to understand the principle, and it's another thing to find ways to embody it and to let yourself off the hook when you are not embodying the spiritual principle that you know to be true. <laughs> Oh yeah. <laughs> when you, when you shout at somebody in traffic, it does not mean that you, <laughs> that you failed. It just means, you know, you yelled at somebody in traffic. Exactly. It's like being human, being all. fully human, right? Yeah. <laughs> you're being fully human. Congratulations. <laughs> you're human. Like the rest of us. Welcome. Yes. Welcome to the club. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's funny. I had a, had a, my, uh, my first guru talked about that, about, you know, there can be the whole hang up about being, about being holy, so to speak. Yeah. And there's this, you have these moments where you do feel like you can be somehow, you can transcend this human experience. Uh, and then I've also heard about the other, the opposite extreme, that there's what they refer to as uh, we can actually be, it would he, the phrase used was phony unholy. So in other words, we really are connected but we're afraid to let other people know we're connected or mm. even sometimes we're afraid to even uh, admit that to ourselves or take that next step on the journey. And so that is totally true. I remember um, when I was leaving the the big company where I was during the Enron bankruptcy um, and my boss came to me and they were totally supportive. I was going on to a, you know, kind of the next step in my career and they were totally supportive. My boss came to me and she goes, you were the heart of the department where, what are we going to do? And she made a joke about how, like, who's going to tell us when Mercury's in retrograde. And I'm like, you're going to Google it. Like I do. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I love it. <laughs> but it was 
is so interesting to me related to what you just said that there's this idea that we hold that back yeah. right um yeah. and what was really interesting to me is that you know when i when the first time I took a salt lamp up to work and, you know, and it was, people were like, what's that thing? And now everybody's kind of got one, you know, it's cool. And and not, I don't mention that to say like, I was one of the cool kids that knew about salt lamps. Um, I mentioned <laughs> it to say when you are sort of on the leading edge of things that people think are a little interesting or a little weird or a little whatever, um, it's totally okay because they're probably curious about it or they think it's quirky or whatever the thing is. And we can still be experts and we can still be powerful and we can still be, uh, you know, able to take care of ourselves financially and, you know, pay the light bill on time and, you know, get the car ready, like do all those things that create a functional adult life and be deeply connected to source, right? Like we don't have to the days of that kind of denial of the flesh, so to speak, like you think about those medieval monks that were doing, you know, all kinds of denial of like hurting themselves, you know, to show they weren't connected to the world. Those days I think are over. And one of the important things that the, the generation that was on this leading edge of the spiritual and physical life integration that we're in the, the generation that's on the leading edge of that, what we are doing in, in a sense is modeling for those coming after us who are even more connected at an earlier age, modeling for them that it is part of life and it's not a spiritual life or a financially lucrative life or a spiritual life or a logical life or whatever they think the dichotomy is part of what we have the opportunity to gift them with and make things easier on ourselves is to live that integration so that I have a law degree and I'm a certified coach and I'm a whatever, right? Of course I am. How else do I know what my clients really need? By asking yeah. them powerful questions. Wow! Yes, and it and, and being all you and being all of those things all at the same time, right? That there's there's no uh, yeah, it's yeah. there. It's not so much that there's polarities that you're either one or the other, but it's that you can be that you embody all of those things. That's you know what just popped into my head when you said polarity was we do think of things on a spectrum. So many things that it's red or blue it's hot or cold, it's black or white, it's, it's, a, it's a polarity, you know, it's on or it's off. And what if instead of lines and spectrums, we really began to think of it more like a color wheel, right? Like if it was more <laughs> a color wheel, if you want to think of it in that terms, or a, um, a, a map of the universe, like a star map, right? You know, when they do your astrological wheel and there's all those like lines that connect things, but it's in a big circle. What if everything was like that? And it wasn't a left to right spectrum or a new to old or whatever the, what if, what if the dichotomies were actually only, it would be like living in two dimensions instead of three. Like, let's just go ahead. Let's just decide, Jeff, you and I, we'll just just start it now. We're just going to decide no more spectrums because that's two dimensional living. We're going to just 3D. We're going to, we're going to add the Z axis. We're going to like think of things 
holistically in three dimensions or more. I mean, add some dimensions if you want. <laughs> yeah, I, I hear a lot of talk about that. So yeah, that, I mean, that, that yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we're going to add the Z or the, let's see, what's after Z? I forget. So there's like three dimension, length, width, height, time, I guess we could get as far as time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll just do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that I wanted to ask you as well, just, you know, related uh, to your journey and, and to this work, you know, the coaching work that you have been and are doing. Uh, and I don't know if this is a, a too broad of a question, but it would be it would be really cool to hear about how you found your voice, so to speak. And I really appreciate all that you've shared about your formative experiences, but just getting more into uh, getting more familiar with, you know, your own your, your own unique voice in terms of what you share with clients and how yes. you communicate with them. Oh my gosh. This, and you don't even know how timely this question is because um, my coaching practice is changing, like has been changing over the last 90 days because, you know, apparently I'm hard headed and I've been resistant of moving into this new phase of the, of the coaching part. Um, because when I first started, this was, this was how I, made it okay for myself to step into coaching was to say, well, I'll just coach lawyers, right? Cause I'm a lawyer. They're a lawyer. I'll just coach lawyers. Yeah. And it was too, it was like holding back still, um, as if to say to myself, well, you can coach a little bit, you can coach if your mother is still okay that you're, you know, that you're a lawyer. She can still oh, tell her friends yeah. you're a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> My mom doesn't care, but that's the kind of stuff that goes on in your head, right? Oh, um, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, so the the blessing of that was it gave me a chance to learn all the mechanics of my business without being successful enough to get tied to that niche. Interesting. Now, yeah. yeah. Why yeah. in the world do you say that's a blessing? Cause it was in the, in the moments of it was struggle and then struggle and um, not understanding how to explain what I do to people. And, you know, just the, the, the pain of knowing I'm supposed to go to this place, but feeling like I'm beating my head against a wall and like, you know, yeah, you're beating your head again. You're not beating your head against a wall. You're beating your head against a door jam. Just shift a little. Interesting. Off, yeah. Right? I love that. Yeah. And that's what a lot of people are doing right now. They are so close, but we get tied to our vision of it on the yeah. surface, right? Here's the analogy. Um, I don't know if you've ever known anybody that was like looking for their partner, their romantic partner. And so they made a list. They had all these attributes. I want him to be six feet tall and dark hair and wavy hair and green eyes. And I want him to have an MBA and make $140,000 a year. Like they got a list, right? And so when their person shows up and he only makes 120, and they're like, oh, he didn't make the list. That's how I was being with my coaching business. Well, mm -hmm. it's not perfect. And I had lost sight of the, of the why and how I wanted to feel and who I wanted to serve. Right. And that made me rigid. So, cause the universe is benevolent and loves me the most universe was like, 
we're going to let you be rigid. And then we're going to like give you a little smack so that that will crack and you can return to your flexibility. And I was like, that sounds awesome in my soul, not in my brain. And my brain was like, no, 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 no. I want it the way I want it. I I'm going to like stick to my guns. I want it the way I want it. And that rigidity delayed my ability to serve more people. And that's totally fine because I'm so um, honored to have the understandings now and to be able to share with people what I'm here to share. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and I'm also very excited because I don't necessarily know uh, anything about it, uh, yeah. which is actually, I find that to be, uh, I find that to be beneficial because then I can listen to you with no <laughs> preconceived notions. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it would be, uh, it would be beautiful to hear about your forgiveness project. And I don't know if that makes sense yeah. uh, to train, you know, to, if that's related, you know, to these shifts that you've been speaking of. Oh, totally. So here's what's happened, right? Um, we don't really understand what forgiveness is and we think it's something we don't want to do. This is a problem, right? So what happens is we get stuck in a grudge loop. So we'll, if we take the example of just people who get divorced or they have a bad breakup and we think that by staying angry, we will keep ourselves from getting heartbroken again, right? I'm going to see it coming next time. And the way I'm going to see it coming is to stay super angry about what that knucklehead did to me. Right. But the problem with that is not, not even the experience of being angry on kind of a regular basis, right. Which does not feel good. And not even the fact that we could talk about this for an hour. Anger is not empowering you. Anger is a sign that you are disempowered and you are creating anger in a way to try and give yourself the illusion that you have power. Right. Uh, yeah. 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 And there's like, like somebody listening to this was just like, that's not true. Whenever I get angry, I make stuff happen. Yes. Because you gave yourself the illusion of power so that you could step forward. Whereas you always had that power. You just weren't using it. Right. Whatever. Like we could literally talk about anger for an hour. Um, but we get stuck in that. Um, and probably the biggest drain for folks who are connected is that when you are hanging on to that anger, sadness, fear, when you're stuck in that grudge loop, what you've done is you've taken a portion of your mental and emotional and spiritual energy, and it's still hooked back to that past event. And you are letting it continue to flow there. So What does that mean? That means that energy is not available to you in the present. It's not available to love somebody new. It's not, it's not available to love somebody, you know, who's been there, right? It's not available to work towards a goal or learn something new or achieve a dream or build a business or drive your car. (laughs) It's just not available to you. Right. So yeah, you're going to be exhausted and you're not going to know why. And you're going to be distracted and you're not going to know why. You're going to be frustrated and you're going to take it out on these little nudgy things that happen during the day because it's got to go somewhere and you're not looking back at the real source of it and saying, do I want to continue to be angry? But here's the other problem with it. Um, Lots of people will tell you you should forgive. It's like one of those, you know, 
it's like one of those bless your heart things like, oh, well, you know, I should, oh, I, for, I forgive him. If you ever said, I forgive him through gritted teeth, then oh, you, know, yeah. you should probably call me. <laughs> 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 because there's a lot of social um, power, a lot of social uh, interaction, like currency that comes from being the, the, um, the one who's not going to take it anymore, right? As opposed to true power, which would be, oh, this thing happened. I understand why it happened now. I understand from my soul what I was trying to get, what I needed to learn. I've integrated the lesson. I don't have to do that anymore, right? A piece of that is breaking free from that grudge loop through the power of forgiveness. But nobody will tell you how to do it, right? Agreed. Yeah. 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 Like you can actually, uh, you know, because I've done a lot of research on this, obviously. You can actually, there's, um, there are a couple of pockets out there where they will tell you somewhat of the process that a person goes through, like the literal, like spiritual technology, the mechanics. First thing to do is act, second thing. Um, and really to understand that just basic things like we don't forgive a person for being who they are. We, we forgive a person for something that they did. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. See the difference? Yeah, yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Just that right there will absolutely change your ability to forgive and to move forward from an event. Oh yeah. Yeah. Very, that's very powerful. Yeah. yeah. And for anybody who's still like, resistant to, well, I don't know what's the difference. Like who cares? Um, the difference is when I feel an impulse to forgive a person for being who they are, what I'm basically saying is who you are is not okay, which is me taking on the role of source or God or divine judgment to say who you are is not okay. And that's not something that we have within our human capability to do. Yeah. Yeah. Even if we'd like to. <laughs> like <laughs> ego. Sometimes I'm like, no, you, 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 you need to be forgiven for who you no. <laughs> it just doesn't work that way, right? Like that's your ego talking. That's the pain. Yeah. The, the yeah. pain coming forward as a shield and a sword to try and say that person is not okay. So I mean that's that's just a piece of it, but, but people really, we all have a misunderstanding of the process that we go through. And, and I created this, I, I deconstruct, I broke it down into the steps for myself. I was so angry and hurt after the divorce. This was when I divorced, um, uh, the, my ex with the two kids on the spectrum. Right. And, um, I'm going to tell this, I'm going to tell on myself, right? Like this is a real story. This is a real story of how it started. Um, I was writing an alimony check to him and I was sitting at my desk. I can see it in my mind right now as I'm telling the story. So I'm writing the check and I was about to write on the memo line. I hope you choke on this money. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I've, I've, I've been there. I've been there. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. And my, I mean, like my pen was hovering over the check and I had this moment and, and, 
so grateful that everything that had led up to that point and being able to be connected to source, there was that voice of my higher self or my angels or whatever you want to call it, who said, are you sure you want to be that person? And my sense yeah. of the moment was if I write these words, I am casting a spell on myself to become the bitter ex. I am taking that on. Yeah. So I stopped didn't write in, signed the check, mailed it. And I sat myself down and I was like, okay, what are you going to do? Because people had been telling me, oh, you're so angry. You need to do somebody angry. I'm like, I'm not angry. <laughs> <Right>? I <laughs> argued with them. I'm not angry. Um, and that week happened to be the week of Ash Wednesday. And I thought, what if I borrow Lent this year and for 40 days, I'm going to pray for him. Did you ever pray for somebody through wow. teeth? Wow. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, but it was not just transformative for me in my life, but out of that, I created, I broke it down into the steps. What did I have to do to be able to do that and to pray that prayer, not through gritted teeth, but with a sincere acknowledgement of his humanity and a sincere restoration of my humanity? What did it take to call back my spirit? from the past moment where it was absolutely consuming my life, this moment in the past. Um, and so that is now what I, I put it into a course because this is important. Like we got to get the word out that it's not enough to just like grit your teeth and, and tell yourself you should forgive or pretend to yourself that you've forgiven. Yeah. And then yeah. feel guilty because you haven't really still feel all the anger and now you're judging yourself. No, don't do that. Like, no, we can, we can break it down. There are steps and they're attainable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's interesting too. I, uh, I get the sense that, you know, a lot of times life in the public sphere, for instance, when we go to work, I always remember that phrase. It was, you know, I'm not saying that everyone lives by it, but there was that phrase, you check it at the door. So if you are angry, if you are harboring this ill will and resentment towards someone who may not even be in your workplace, they yes. could be, but maybe not, uh, you know, you just have to check that at the door and then somehow you pick it back, you know, you pick it back up when you, when you finish the day's work. Right. I get a sense from reading about some of the work that you do with, with people that it's not necessarily, it doesn't really work that way. I, you know, that's all I really can say because yeah. that's just the sense that I got. No, that's right. I mean, we're not into the suck it up buttercup model of getting through the day. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's, the thing is you can maintain using the suck it up buttercup, buttercup method for years. Like I know people that have been doing it for decades, but um, it will not be the rich life that you really want. And frankly, that, that you is part of your birthright as a human being, as a human who's here having a business experience, a romantic experience, a lawyer experience, like whatever experience you're here having, have it as a fully integrated human because it'll be more fun. Right. And it's going to be easier. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I tell people I, it's never just business. Never, not once 25 years coming up on 25 years of being a lawyer. Um, during that 
time, you know, I've, I've worked on little deals where it was like, I say little, right. It's all relative. Um, the, the smaller deals where it was, you know, just a big piece of equipment up to billion dollar pipeline deals. I'm telling you, it was never just business because there was always a human involved always, always, always. And this stuff we're talking about absolutely affects how you make decisions, how you see things, what you ask for, how you negotiate with people, how you negotiate with your kids, whether your dog likes you, like it affects (laughs) (laughs) if your cat is mad at you, check in. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. See what energy you're putting out because the cat's trying to help you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The other phrase is I've heard, I don't know if this applies or not. You know, it's not, you know, this isn't personal. This is business. Oh, yeah. I don't know if that's, yeah. Such baloney. (laughs) (laughs) Not personal to you. I mean, when think about when people say that, right? When they say it is, is usually some situation where it's like, I know this is going to hurt you, but I got to do it anyway. Or, this is what I want. So, and and so, you know, we have this sense of ourselves sometimes that we're not cold hearted or cruel. And so we say, well, it's just business. It's just business. Um, And wouldn't it be amazing for your life to be able to say, listen, I acknowledge that this is going to have an effect on you as a person based on my values and what I need to do to take care of myself. This is the thing I'm going to do. Can you imagine that level of authenticity? Even if it's you didn't to say think it about. to the other person. Yeah. Oh my golly. So good. Yeah. So good. It's a game changer. It's a game changer. It frees up so much of your energy that's going towards creating the illusion that you did it because you had to. Right? Ooh. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's, uh, I appreciate it. And Angie, I was going to mention, I, and I really do, I really deeply honor everything that you've shared. Uh, this has been really nourishing and, and a lot of food for thought for me as well. Oh, and I wanted to, I think that's all the questions that are coming up is I don't really necessarily have any, I don't go into these uh, with any sort of pre-prescribed questions, but what I wanted to do really is just give you the time and space. If there's anything I've forgotten to ask or anything that you feel moved to share, uh, this is basically, there's no expectation but just wanted to give you that room to be able to do that if, if there's anything else. Oh, thank you. You know, there is one thing that I think is really important about forgiveness that I want to make sure that we cover so that people are giving themselves permission on this, which is you don't have to, you do not have to forgive anybody. If you, if, if your, your moment in the journey that you're on is that, now is the moment to feel the anger or to feel the sadness or the grief or the shock forcing yourself to step into an illusion that you have released it already is going to take you off the path of the experience right so what what i'm going to invite anybody who's hearing this to do but the invitation is acknowledging where you're, where you are is in itself a tremendous act of self-love and respect. And it's totally okay to start there. Yeah, that's uh that, that, that one leaves me speechless, even though I realize I'm talking now, but from this point on, I'm not, this, yes, I, this, this leaves me speechless. Yeah. Yeah. Very powerful. Yeah. 
I appreciate it very much. Uh, this is is has been a uh, has been a tremendous. Uh, this has been uh, a tremendous blessing to uh, to hear you know you share these things and to get a deeper sense of your journey. And I just I can't thank you enough for taking the time uh, and your openness to share these things. I really do appreciate it. Thanks, Jeff. Absolutely. Thank you.